Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This is the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rip and Read. No, 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 no. Wrong, 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 wrong. Justin Ellick, get your ass in here. This is not the song for segment one. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. The Untouchables. A Desilu production. Tonight's episode, The Frank Nitty Story. Starring Robert Stack as Elliot Ness. Co-starring Richard Anderson. Myron McCormick. And Dick Ferran, with special guest star Bruce Gordon, and narrated by Walter Winchell. The Frank Nitty story. Wasn't that a great TV show? It was not about the FBI. It was about Treasury agents who eventually were able to put Al Capone away, not because of the crimes committed. He invented the drive-by shooting in Chicago as he went to war against O'Banion. Remember, he had the Irish leader of organized crime there shot and killed. Uh, and he went to war against the Poles, the other Italians, and took control of organized crime in Chi-Town. Even though on Taffy Place in Brooklyn, he was born, he was a uh, mobster of no consequence. He got his face sliced in a fight on the boardwalk at Coney Island. That's why he got the nickname Scarface. And then they shipped him out to Chicago, south side of Chicago, the Italian area, to hang out with his uh, uncle. And that's where he made his bones. He couldn't make his bones in New York. Now, eventually, Treasury, through Frank Nitti and his agents, were able to uh, raid the headquarters of, uh, of Capone, which was in Cicero, right next to uh, the south side of Chicago. And in Cicero, they found his accountant, Greasy Thumb Gusick, who kept two sets of books. And the reason they knew that it was Greasy Thumb Gusick is he would always eat a Polish uh, sausage, a kielbasa. And it was greasy. And so basically, he had his thumbprints on the set of books that the government would get and a set of books that they would keep. And it was two sets of books. And because of Greasy Thumb Gusick, and then eventually the trial of Al Capone on income tax evasion, he was found guilty, sent away. At first, he was sent to Atlanta, the federal penitentiary. And I must tell you that um, that is a hardcore prison, still open now. But they didn't want Al Capone mingling with any of the other organized crime prisoners sent to uh, Atlanta Federal Prison, so they sent him to Alcatraz, the Rock. 
He had syphilis. He ended up uh, having his brain eaten away. Good. He went straight to hell without an asbestos suit once. Uh, he was released uh, to an island off of Miami, screaming in misery ah! from the syphilis. And that's how the commission came to be. Because when uh, Capone went away, there was a void. Frank Nitti took control of the Chicago mob and put together a commission that involved the heads of organized crime in New York, Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City, uh, all those areas that had a vibrant, active, organized crime cells, Cleveland, and they would have their commission meetings. As a result, uh, Bo Deedle, who is on The Godfather of Harlem, I think he plays uh, Tommy Gambino, had his finger chopped off in one of the episodes. Anyway, uh, he uh, has uh, put together the commission, which includes uh, Sid Rosenberg, and he has gone further in giving huge powers to me as the prosecutor Special prosecutor, as you can see, the Department of Justice, they have a special prosecutor to go after everything Trump. And now we have a special prosecutor appointed by Bo Dito this morning when he was on with Sid in the 9 o'clock hour. He's on twice a week. And he explained uh, why I was being given that responsibility. I love my friend Curtis Lewa. And you know what? We have some talk. I want him to become my special prosecutor. We're going to start investigating things, and I got my. I'm going to announce him as the special prosecutor, Curtis Lee. When we go after like people, because him and his lovely wife, they gave me good evidence. Good evidence. That's right, and we've accepted that role of special prosecutor. My wife, as you know, Nancy's been going through some tough times medically, but with her laptop computer, boy, she does a dive. She's an e attorney. She has unearthed. So much information about my friends and foes, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, or in the private sector, they're hotel owners, how many of them are getting wine-dined and pocket-lined, and we equally co-bust them. So Sid has recognized that. Uh, and so I am the special prosecutor along with uh, my wife, the assistant, Nancy. And we've been given some initial tasks, and I want to reveal them to all of you on the rip and read first off. Abodito wants us to go after somebody that I went after during the election for mayor. And nobody paid attention because the Democrats have all the power. It's a one-party town. And they refuse to eat their own babies. You know what, Leticia? What happened to Big Bird and his wife with the billion and a half? Maybe we can recoup that. Because that money's got to be some somewhere. I may put, I may put Curtis... Sleep with my special <laughs> prosecutor on, on Big Bird, on Big Bird and his wife, and we'll try to find Stop the money. That's, that is correct. That is our number one responsibility, to do what Tish James, the attorney general of the state of New York with subpoena power, refused to do. Refused to do. Why? Because they're Democrats. Although, if their name were Trump, she'd be searching them for belly button lint. It is the power of the state controller, Tom DiNapoli, who could have issued warrants. He chose not to because they're fellow Democrats. They all know that Comrade Bill de Blasio, the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, and his wife, Charlene, have a habit of stealing the money from the fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi group that was created. 
during five of the eight years of disaster brought upon us by de Blasio called Thrive. It was supposed to help emotionally disturbed persons like Jordan Neely, who the hero Marine had to put into a headlock to restrain him from hurting other people and possibly maiming them. Where did all that money go? One and a half billion dollars. The controller of the city of New York has subpoena power. The speaker of the city council has subpoena power. None of them use the subpoena power. The district attorneys have subpoena power. None of them use subpoena power against those two thieves, Bill de Blasio and Charlene McRae. They stole one and a half billion dollars. And I and Nancy have already looked at it preliminarily during the mayoral campaign. We think it's either in Antigua, where they launder money all the time, a Swiss bank account, Panamanian bank account, or in the Cayman Islands, where they also launder money all the time. Also, there's no statute of limitations for murder. Bill de Blasio gave an interview to New York Magazine in which he acknowledged he was responsible for the killing of the woodchuck in Staten Island uh, to find out the emergence of the, uh, the shadow on the... Uh, well, not well. In the case of Staten Island, it's a woodchuck. Uh, Punxsutawney Phil in Pennsylvania, it's what it should be—a groundhog. And Bill De Blasio dropped the woodchuck that they claimed was a male. Turned out later it was Charlotte, the female, and he murdered him. And he now acknowledges that. So I'm going after McMahon, the ambulance chaser, the district attorney in Staten Island. Who, by the way, the Republicans won't even challenge with a 250% increase in overall crime all over Staten Island, North Shore, Mid-Island, South Shore. They're protecting this guy, a Democrat, no Republican running against him. And I'm going to insist now that Bill de Blasio has admitted in New York Magazine that he killed the woodchuck, he killed Charlotte, that he be prosecuted because there is no statute of limitation, and that is a violation of animal welfare. But it doesn't just stop there. Frank Morano, the Mameluke, who was in the Talkers 100, made disparaging remarks about Rayo's, claimed it was a restaurant that only had five tables the other day in trying to lure Sid Rosenberg out to Staten Island, which has some very fine restaurants. He was saying, why don't you come out to Angelina's? But Bo took exception to that because Frank Morano is always taking shots. And then he took a shot at me and said, hey, look, John Batchelor wasn't in the Talkers uh, 100. I'm saying to myself, Frank, I was here when they led John Batchelor out of WABC. It should have been in chains and shackles. How dare you mention that guy? How dare? So we're going after Frank Morano and his defense also of Joe Borelli, who wouldn't even say Sid Rosenberg's name when he talked about hearing on a radio show the fact that there was no toxicology report issued on Jordan Neely, who died after being headlocked by the hero Marine Penny and the two Good Samaritans. What the hell was that? A refusal to acknowledge Sid Rosenberg. And then lastly, there's Arthur Idala, who has uh, polyprep uh, day school immunity because he went there with Joe Tacopina and Sid Rosenberg, it seems, a lifetime ago. I want to know what happened at $13 million from the Friars Club. Arthur Idella, I want to know where is the $13 million. 
Our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, was prepared to put $6 million down to save the Friars Club, and Arthur Idala did an intervention to prevent that and kept the crooks from going to jail who were responsible for the death of the Friars Club, the monastery, which probably now will house illegal aliens since Arthur Idala is such a very dear friend of Eric Adams and probably will take the illegal aliens there. In honor of Pat Cooper, we just did a two-hour retrospective of his life and times. Greatest comedian of all time. Met his last wife in the Friars Club. Uh, I'm launching an investigation with Nancy, and we're going to try to get John Katsimatidis to save the Friars Club so that comedians do not have to be politically correct any longer. They can speak their mind. They can entertain And they can appear on WABC. So that's also what we're doing here. And of course, first and foremost, we're going after all of these uh, crooks and everybody else that's out there. It's got their beak in the trough. And then, of course, there's the case of Eddie Caban, who both I and Bo Deedle feel should and rightfully deserves to become the first Hispanic Latino police commissioner of the city of New York, of the greatest police department in the world. He's earned it. Bo knows Eddie Caban. I know Eddie Caban. And we've seen him move up the ranks, and he had to earn his stripes the hard way. He's the liberty-loving Latino who was always at the side of Keyshawn Sewell, who really didn't know much about the department. He was her divining rod. He was a complete gentleman. He tried to help her as much as he could. But let's face it, she had made a deal with the devil. It was like, damn Yankees. She agreed to be a police commissioner of the greatest police department in the world, but would execute no powers of being a police commissioner. That was given to Phil Banks, the deputy mayor of public safety, who was an unindicted co-conspirator in a federal prosecution of cops who were selling pistol permits, and in order to avoid getting uh, sent to jail himself, he became a confidential informer. Now, how the hell could he be deputy mayor of public safety with no office in City Hall, with no office at one police plaza, with a private office in the Verizon building where he does not have to acknowledge who comes visiting him and who's carrying the loot? That's number one. Number two, there's Jeff Madry, who was the number one uniformed uh, cop in the NYPD. He was a good street cop, but boy, is he tainted. He cannot control his libido, his three-piece set. There's a multi-million dollar lawsuit uh, against uh, the city because of his actions with his former police driver, Tabitha Forster. I've repeated it before. They were on a hill of a park in Ozone Park. She confronted him because... He was cheating on her with other female police department personnel while the guy was married. She pulled her revolver on him. Naturally, people in the community called the police. They were in plain clothes. And the police came running from all different directions. And Jeffrey Madry, who was head of the 75th Precinct, flashed his badge, said, you know who I am. I got it. Hush, hush, mush, mush. It was revealed three months later. All he lost for that was 40 days of vacation. And now, because there is a new cry in City Hall with the resignation of Keyshawn Sewell, everybody knew that was going to happen. 
a BPIC, black people in charge. In fact, let's go to the audio tape, and you can hear Bo Dito speak about Eddie Caban as I have spoken about him. And Eddie Caban, I hope he's the permanent police. Oh, you like him? You met him at my Christmas party, Eddie Caban, over there when we were at, uh, over there. uh, That was Eddie. That was Eddie. I I like Eddie. I like him. Mr. Mayor, please keep Eddie. We need a guy like Eddie in there. Please. He's a New York cop from the beginning. He's He's a good guy. That is my choice for the police commissioner. It's my choice. It's Bo Deedle's choice. It's the choice of the men and women in the department who have to believe in their police commissioner, who have to know that their police commissioner has their back. And it's time for a Hispanic Latino police commissioner. It's time. And I can think of nobody better who's come up through the ranks than Eddie Caban. Had I been lucky enough to become mayor myself and defeat Eric Adams, Eddie Caban would have been my choice. To his credit, Eddie Caban was loyal to Eric Adams. He had been his driver when he was Brooklyn Borough president, a confidant, always loyal to the T. And obviously, um, he should have become the police commissioner of Eric Adams. He didn't choose him first. But Eric, we don't get along on anything. Do the right thing. It's the most important department in the city of New York, the police department, and Eddie Caban is the best possible choice you have to replace Keyshawn Sewell permanently. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Sliwa. Curtis doesn't know about you, but he rips and reads. This is the Rip and Read. This used to be the theme song for Hulk Hogan entering the ring of the old WWF. This will now become, in perpetuity, the theme song for hero Marine Daniel Penny. Served this country four years honorably in every single way, overseas, took on every chore, left the United States Marine Corps as a sergeant. And by the way... Every media outlet in existence trying to dig up dirt on this great hero from West Islip who was actually living in the Lower East Side when he chose not to ignore a situation, not to flee out of fright or just film it so it could go live at 5 on the uh, news, but to actually do what he knew he had to do and what he was trained to do as a United States Marine, and that is intervene. And even though Alvin Bragg got, got the decision of the grand jury that he wanted, second-degree manslaughter, Daniel uh, made himself available to media outlets to explain so we all could hear him, not just a select few. 
and he talked about this bogus claim that there was a 15-minute interval between the time he took down Jordan nearly on an F train at 2.30 in the afternoon as he did a left 2nd Avenue station heading north to Broadway Lafayette, and that, in fact, that was misinformation. Some people say that I was holding on to Mr. Ely for 15 minutes. This is not true. I mean, between stops is only a couple minutes. So the whole interaction lasted less than five minutes. Some people say I was trying to choke him to death, which is also not true. I was trying to restrain him. Uh, you can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest, indicating that he's breathing. I'm trying to restrain him from him being able to carry out the threats. And then some people say that this was about race, which is absolutely ridiculous. I didn't see a black man threatening passengers. I saw a man threatening passengers, a lot of whom were people of color. A man who helped restrain Mr. Neely was, was a person of color. And then a few days after the incident, I, I read in the papers that uh, a woman of color came out and called me a hero. What, I don't believe that I'm, I'm a hero, but uh, she was one of those people that I was trying to protect. Humble. And he said what any rock-ribbed all-American guy or gal should say, that he couldn't just sit still and watch this guy, Jordan Neely, have a psychotic episode as he was threatening people's lives. Mr. Neely came on. He was he was threatening. He's, he's a, I'm 6'2", and he was taller than me. So it was... And there's a common misconception that Marines don't get scared. We're actually taught uh, one of our core values is courage and... Courage is not the absence of fear, but how you handle fear. And, you know, I was scared for myself, but I looked around. I saw women and children. He was yelling in their faces, saying saying these threats. I couldn't just sit still. And he said he had to protect himself, but also the other passengers. We were all scared. Mr. Neely was yelling in these passengers' faces, and they looked terrified. Um, the reason why there was no video at the start of the altercation was because people were too afraid getting away from him. And the, the, didn't, the videos didn't start until they saw that situation was under control. I knew I had to act, and I acted in a way that would protect the other passengers, protect myself, and protect Mr. Neely. I used this hole to restrain him, and I did this by leaving my hand on top of his head to control his body, you can see in the video there's a clear rise and fall of his chest indicating that he was still breathing. And I'm calibrating my grip based on, on the force that he's exerting. And um, I just, I, I mean, I was trying to keep him on the ground as, until the police came. I was praying that the police would come and take this situation under, uh, take this situation over. I didn't want to be put in that situation, but I couldn't just sit still and let, let him carry out these threats. There was an autopsy done of the. Uh... Uh, Jordan Neely, who passed away. But where's the toxicology report? We know that his aunt was saying that he was smoking crack, excuse me, K2, all the time. All the time. That same aunt now smells the moolah shmoolah, the scato, the shimolis, the fasuls, and is hired. Uh, obviously, they're doing it for what they feel they can make in the future. He is suing Daniel Penny, claiming he is the one responsible for the demise of her nephew. By the way, someone that they acknowledge they could not handle, who on those occasions when he would visit, 
he'd be all just wired up on K2 and having schizophrenic episodes. And his uncle, uh, who was the spokesperson initially, turns out the uncle uh, has been arrested three times since at the Port Authority because he's a pickpocket, he's a jostler. He had on him 12 different credit cards, debit cards with different names on it, pocketbook snatcher, you name it. He's a criminal, and they've cut him loose. I mean, people were seeing him when he acted as a spokesperson initially and say, hey, that's the guy who's always hanging out at the Port Authority, always pickpocketing people, always jostling them, always cutting the straps of purses as he's going up the escalator and then running the other way. Arrested three times since his uh, nephew, Jordan Neely, died. And he's been cut loose on every one of the charges. Again, courtesy of Alvin Bragg, Manhattan DA, friend of the criminal, not friend of the Good Samaritans. And the reason that Alvin Bragg decided to uh, have this hero Marine Daniel Penny arrested and brought to the 5th Precinct first in Chinatown and then brought before a judge for a quick arraignment on 100 Center Street, I think he's got to return July 17th, and then Alvin Bragg and panel the grand jury that just came back with its bill of goods was because of the influence of Al Slim Shady Sharpton, his mentor. Al Slim Shady Sharpton had mentored uh, both uh, Eric Adams and Alvin Bragg together. In fact, he had uh, oftentimes gatherings on Saturday at his storefront church on 145th and have had both in his company and they have talked about how Al Slim Shady Sharpton had mentored them. Well, here's Al Slim Shady Sharpton, who called for not only Daniel Penny to be arrested and charged for murder, but also the two good Samaritans. You cannot let this go unaccounted for without really opening the door to legitimizing and giving a basis of vigilantism. This young man, unarmed, did nothing to anyone, didn't assault anyone, was disruptive, which happens every day on subways, and you're going to put him in a chokehold and hold him there for minutes at a time while two other people hold him down and kill him. This person uh, uh, should face a grand jury and the two people with him. And so he immediately started calling Alvin Bragg, his protege, demanding that Alvin Bragg have Daniel Penny arrested and charged for murder and that he send the detectives of the Manhattan DA's office out to find the two good Samaritans who he called bad Samaritans. They've continued to do that uh, as if all of a sudden this their public enemy number one. He did that at the urging of our Slim Shady Sharpton. AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the socialist cop haters of America. She claimed that Daniel Penny, hero Marine, first murdered uh, Jordan Neely. The next day, she said, oh, uh, lynched him. And then the next day, said executed him. She scored the trifecta of hate on this U.S. Marine and the cops. And so she was calling up uh, Alvin Bragg. And then George Soros, who funded his campaign and other DA's campaigns, to become the public safety official that turns criminals loose all across America, called him up and said, hey, guy, I didn't give you a million dollars in your campaign to become Manhattan DA for you to do this. And so he danced. He danced to those people who are his Medici's, 
and now he has a an indictment that has been cleared by the grand jury and a trial will be set. Thank God that the attorney representing the hero Marine in this case, Daniel Penny, is a man I know well, Thomas Kniff. He ran against Alvin Bragg. He was the Republican candidate against Alvin Bragg. Yeah, Manhattan GOP ran a candidate against Alvin Bragg. Uh, Up in the Bronx, this guy, Mike Rendino, the GOP chairman, is in the back pockets of the Democrats. He's not running a Republican candidate against Darcel Clark, who is the female version of Alvin Bragg. Oh, no, and actually said, oh, she's doing a very good job. And out in Staten Island, the most Republican of all boroughs, they have an ambulance chaser out there, Mike McMahon, who's the DA Democrat, and they're not running Republican against him. Crime is up 250%. And talk about influence. You remember when our hero, Rudy Giuliani, greatest mayor who's ever served the citizens of New York City, was in the waning days of his son's campaign for the Republican nomination to run against Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. He lost against Congressman Lee Zeldin, but a day before, at a stopping shop uh, out in Staten Island, South Shore, this employee, remember, came up behind him, hit him hard, cursed him, ended up getting arrested by the precinct. And Eric Adams, on two occasions, called up D.A. Mike McMahon and said, I want Rudy arrested for filing a false police report. And Mike McMahon was going to do it until all of a sudden I confronted him at the July 4th annual Travis 4th of July parade, which I go to every year with the Guardian Angels. It's upcoming. And I said, Mike, if you actually issue a warrant for the arrest of our hero mayor, Rudy Giuliani, claiming he filed a false police report, as Eric Adams told you to do. I'll convince Rudy to come out here and run against you. And you know Rudy would take him out in a landslide. Oh, all of a sudden, his white hair got whiter. But I want you to listen to Thomas Kniff, who ran a great race against Alvin Bragg as the Manhattan GOP candidate, talk about how you can't influence a DA And he used the situation that he's involved with as of today when he called in to Sid Rosenberg this morning. Anyway, my next guest, the complete opposite. I respect this guy as much, if not more, than anybody. This guy served our country proudly. I endorsed him in his race against Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. And now, of course, him and Steve Razor, the attorneys for Daniel Penny. And I pumped up my friend Tom Knipp big time on Fox News with Brian Kilmeade last night. Here he is, Penny's attorney, Thomas Kniff. Thomas, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Sid. Let me know where I should send those checks, okay? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, everything I said was, was true. And, uh, you know, Curtis, too, we all endorsed you in that race against Bragg. And I said this on Fox News. I said, Kniff is a better man. Forget about better attorney and hero. He's just a better man than Alvin Bragg. And now you're kind of going up against him. So we kind of knew this was happening, but now that it's official, anything different in the Kniff Razor office this morning now that Daniel Penny has officially been indicted? I I wouldn't say so, Sid. I mean, you know, if you've been doing this for as long as we have, I mean, actually, if you've been doing criminal work for about five minutes, I, I mean, you understand that a grand jury presentation, for all intents and purposes, is a legal formality. Um, 
you know, I, it, it's become a cliche because it's so off quoted, uh, but, but it doesn't make it any less accurate. You know, you can indict a ham sandwich, as Saul Walkler once said. Um, you know, uh, look, uh, of course, we, we, you, you can't help hope, right? So in, in a case like this, we said, geez, you know, if there's ever a situation where maybe a grand jury will flush the case, this could be the one. We have requested, uh, you know, witnesses that, and asked the DA to call certain witnesses. We can't control it. We can only make the ask. It's a secret proceeding. We don't know what they did or didn't do in there. But, you know, anyone who's surprised because a grand jury returns an indictment just really is, you know, out of touch with how things work. You know, this indictment, Thomas, came just a couple of days after your client, Daniel Penny, uh, did those tapes, released those tapes. And I thought they were great. I played a lot of it on this show. You and I talked about it two days ago. And I'm happy he did it. But Brian Kilmeade did ask me last night, do you think that maybe Knipp and Razor now in retrospect, think that maybe Penny should not have done those tapes. I don't think it would have mattered. I think he was getting indicted anyway. And if anything, now you know if he has to testify, he can certainly handle himself. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. No regrets. And, you know, I think I made the point when we spoke a couple of days ago. You know, at some point, you know, you have to counter the narrative. I mean, it's one thing if this case wasn't getting the press it was getting. It's one thing if, you know, people like Jamani Williams, Al Sharpton, Kathy Hochul weren't, you know, going on the major media outlets and, and labeling, you know, my, my client a vigilante, a murderer, a white supremacist, using the bully pulpit of public office to say, if not those things, things like that. Um, you know, so letting the public get a, you know, a 360 view of him. Uh, instead of this, you know, just one-dimensional, you know, uh, vitriolic uh, uh, view that, that at least part of the was being partly put out there. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that that was a bad decision at all. And and in re, reality, is that again, you know, we're dealing with a a reasonable cause standard in the grand jury. Grand juries are keen to most people, but it it, it is really the DA's sandbox. In fact, the, the grand jury room isn't even in the courthouse. It's in the right. DA's building. Right, right. Uh, you know, so yep. Yep. you just really, I don't think it's any time to, to second guess anything we did. We feel very, uh, very good about, you know, every way that, uh, you know, every move we made so far in this case. You mentioned Hochul, Jamani Williams, a host of others. Some of these questions will be similar to our discussion two days ago, but they're important. I brought up the mayor, Eric Adams, and he came out yesterday and, and actually All right, congratulated enough. This is not the cut I wanted. You know, this is a very important album. Extraordinarily important. I put a lot of time and a lot of energy into this show. Either people wake up and start paying attention to this show, or they can have somebody else do the show. It's that simple. I put more time and energy into one hour than anybody else does in multiple hours. Three strikes and you're out today. Three strikes and you're out today. Talking about this is the Rip and Read featuring Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. 
for a smoothie in America. Uh, kickback hell continues to take place. As this uh, racket involving illegal aliens is approaching $5 billion. And all the ancillary services are provided by friends of Eric Adams, friends of Kathy Crime Wave Holcomb. So yesterday, Eric Adams trotted out the corrupt former Bronxboro president, Adolfo Carrion, who had worked on, on his home in City Island for nothing. And then he... Uh, he did a big favor for a developer as he had the power as Bronxboro president. He should have been sent to jail. But here he is. He's talking about how the city will basically pay for all expenses if you will just take the illegal aliens that Eric Adams has welcomed here. The city is providing transportation to these locations where New York City is paying for a number of services at no expense to the local counties. Or cities. So now we see George Latimer up in Westchester afraid to be called a racist uh, as his colleague in Rockland County was Ed Day, the Republican who would not fold to the bullying and intimidation of Eric Adams. And Latimer has said, yeah, we're a sanctuary county. And we have uh, on Tuckahoe Road in Yonkers, uh, a no-tell motel turned into a uh, housing for illegal aliens because of the crooked mayor there, Mike Sano, the Democrat. And now we see they're going to White Plains. And, of course, the mayor up in Albany is saying, give us all you're tired, you're poor. And all I'm going to say is, follow the money. You know, if I happen not to be here tomorrow, you're going to know why. Because if things don't straighten out in this hour, I'm serious as a heart attack. People here better know this is an important hour or they can get somebody else to do it.